0: Welcome everybody to the Steve Jordan Experience. It's a pleasure to have you here with me today. I have a great guest on here today who is a cancer survivor, but he's just not a survivor. I would consider him a thriver, someone who's beaten cancer, uh, taken that adversity, which I think many of us have been affected by by one degree or two degrees of separation, and you know he has turned it into a business. Um, He has literally helped, and he'll tell you, you know, many people fight cancer, whether it's emotionally, mentally, and or physically and, and overcome it. Um, He has a website called chrisbeatcancer.com. And uh, he's got a bunch of other products and book and great things to be able to help you and or your loved ones and or friends if they are battling cancer or uh, faced with that adversity. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Chris Wark to the to the Steve Jordan experience. Steve, good to be with you. Great, well, Chris, tell us about your story. You know, it's, uh, you know, cancer is no uh, fun experience. Uh, if it could be skin cancer, uh, you know, and you just gotta have it removed and it never comes back. You gotta have some stitches and the knife, you know, uh, cut into you. Or it could be uh, even more devastating, you know, and in your case, it was quite devastating. I, I think if I recall reading in your bio that it had uh, a less chance of of being on the side that you're on now. So the likelihood of you fully recovering from it was less than optimal. So give us the story.
1: Well, I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer when I was 26, and this was December 2003. So it's been 18 years.
0: That's very young to have colon cancer. Yes.
1: 26 is young, but I'm glad you mentioned that because young adult colon cancer is one of the fastest growing segments of the cancer industry. Mm. There are more young adults being diagnosed with colon cancer today than ever before. Unlike lung cancer, which the rates of lung cancer are going down every year because people aren't smoking. Right, more and people, more and more people are not smoking. They're quitting smoking, or they're never starting. And um, but colon cancer is the opposite; it's growing. And um, I was sort of, you know, uh, a pioneer, (laughs) first wave, Mm. first wave, young adult colon cancer at twenty six. Not really, but uh, you know, it was it was definitely happening back then too, but not as much. Does cancer Um, run
0: in your family for colon cancer?
1: To be you know, there was no there was no family history at that time after I was diagnosed a few years after I had an uncle who got colon cancer. And then a few years after that, maybe five years after that, my dad was diagnosed with colon cancer. So, and I had a cousin that was diagnosed with colon cancer. So there All was family side of the
0: family. Like, uh, um, Let's see both side of, sides, both sides, both
1: sides. That. Yeah. So my mom's brother and and a cousin on her side. And then my dad, so that all happened after me. Before me, there wasn't any history, right? So, but what's important to to, to point out is that uh, colon cancer is one of the most common cancers. Yeah. So, family history or not, uh, it's, it's very, very common. Breast cancer and colon cancer are two of the most common types of cancer, and so. Anyway, I get th- I got this diagnosis. Of course, it was terrible and shocking and scary and I was told we got to get you into surgery right away and get this thing out of you before it spreads and kills you. And the way I got diagnosed was I had been having abdominal pain for the better part of a year and it wasn't it wasn't bad. It was pretty mild and it would just kind of come and go and I would have a little bit of discomfort in between meals and there was some blood in my stool and um it was you know, I just thought maybe I had an ulcer or something, you know, I just wasn't, wasn't worried about it. And I was busy living my life. And, but eventually the pain got to be um, pretty debilitating. And at night after dinner, we'd be watching TV and I would just have these, you know, just surges of pain that were very uncomfortable. And in the middle of the night, it would wake me up. Hmm. I'd have an urge, I'd wake up sort of with like an urge to go to the bathroom, you know, so
0: went to the doctor. Number two or number one? Yeah. Number two. Right. Okay. Right. Defecating.
1: Yes. Pooping. Pooping. Yes. So <laughs> I, yeah, I had a colonoscopy, you know, the doctors didn't think it was colon cancer. I mean, this colonoscopy was sort of a last resort because they couldn't figure out what was wrong. Hmm. And, uh, it, when I woke up from that procedure, they said, Hey, you've got a golf ball sized tumor in your large intestine and we biop, we're going to send it to the lab. We took a biopsy and we'll call you and tell you what the results are. And, and within a day or so, I got a call and they told me it was colon cancer. So mm-hmm. the the next step was surgery. And, I, you know, this was just a few days before Christmas. And they wanted to have me in surgery like immediately, you know, just the next day, in two days. I mean, as soon as they could. And this is very common. Most cancer patients are rushed into treatment uh, out of fear. And before they really understand what's happening to them, I mean, they, don't have, they have no understanding of the disease, typically, unless they've had a close family member go through it or a dear friend go through it. And they definitely don't understand the treatments, the short-term risks, the benefits, the long-term risks, those kind of things. So I postponed my surgery, and it wasn't because I was smart. I just didn't want to be in the hospital over Christmas.
0: Mm, well. <laughs> you know? uh.
1: I'm like this is terrible this is the worst news of my life i mean you know my life had just fallen apart and uh i was like can i just have a normal christmas so i went in on december 30th had the surgery they took out a third of my large intestine that's the colon and when i woke up from surgery they said it's worse than we thought we were hoping you would be stage two you're stage 3c which means Uh, it had spread to your lymph nodes now we took everything we could see we think we got it all but you're going to need nine to 12 months of chemotherapy the reason they do that is because there's there's no way they can ever get it all Mm. Um, and i didn't know this at the time but cancer cells leave a primary tumor site almost immediately i mean they leave a tumor site before a lesion is even big enough to detect on a scan right Mm. so you know, think about a lesion the size of the, of the tip of your pencil, right? Cancer cells are already leaving that lesion and looking for new places in the body to uh, set up shop. Uh, fortunately, your immune system is designed to identify and eliminate cancer cells. That's what immune cells do, T cells, natural killer cells. Their job is to identify and eliminate rogue cells, mutated cells, along with bacteria, viral infected cells, and things like that. So um, it's thanks to our immune systems that we're not all covered with tumors. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. And, and we have cancer in our bodies at all times. Is it, isn't that correct? That's a, a correct statement. It's correct.
1: Yeah. Cancer, most people, and, and, you know, they've never tested every human, right? But most people have cancer cells in their body and your immune system is killing them, right? It's preventing them from taking over or it's you may have some lesions in your body that you don't even know about and your immune system is keeping it under control and uh, so but there's eventually the difference between someone with tumors right obvious cancer and no cancer is largely in part to their immune system so this really is the key to health is a strong immune system and there's a lot of things that you can do to support your body's ability to repair regenerate detoxify and heal and of course have a strong immune system that's resilient and so um and i'll get into that these are these are things that i've learned through the cancer experience that helped me survive but um again back to 2003 early 2004 you know i didn't know anything and so i had this surgery you know I woke up. They said, it's worse than we thought. The first meal that they brought me in the hospital was a sloppy Joe. Hmm. (laughs) So, you know, I'm looking at this disgusting cafeteria, you know, sloppy Joe (laughs) and thinking like, why are they serving this to sick people? Right. This is, I mean, just gross, (laughs) you know? I mean, if they had brought me Chick-fil-A or something, I would have been like, oh, this is good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it was such a, yeah, it was was such a perfect example. It was like they were telling me, we do not care about your diet, right? We don't care what you eat. Here's a sloppy Joe. Here's some meatloaf. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean?
0: They're just thinking about the calories. They're not thinking about you know the the nutrient density of the food they're not thinking about the properties that food can have medicinally and, and 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 i've had a lot of expert nutritionists and even functional medicine doctors that were once very highly acknowledged in their medical field in traditional medicine that now gone away because the system is broken because of this you know the unknowing the naivety or the ignorance or flat out just uh, irresponsibility, you know, of, of of turning the cheek, turning their cheek and looking at this, you know, as a business and making money and having to follow the system that's, that they know is already broken and, and it's not serving. It sucks.
1: Yeah, I think it's a mix between the way the medical system operates in terms of health care, you know, they, they don't really care about your health, they care about treating you with uh, either drugs or therapies, uh, procedures that generate a lot of profit. And so there's a mix between of ignorance and indifference, right? And mm-hmm. so doctors who are really good people, really caring people, but they're, they're brainwashed in med school to believe that only drugs and surgery, right? Radiation and chemotherapy, those are the only tools that are helpful. And that nutrition doesn't matter, that exercise doesn't matter, that stress reduction doesn't matter, that your daily choices don't matter right? You're just a victim of disease. And so this is how cancer patients are treated. You know, every, every patient is thinking and wondering the same thing. Why did I get cancer? How did this happen to me? And when they ask their doctor, invariably the answer they get is, well, we don't know. Uh, it may be bad luck or it may be genetic.
0: It's easy, easy cop-out.
1: It's a cop-out. And what, what that kind of an answer does is it, is it, tells the patient in so many words there's nothing you did to contribute to your current situation to your disease to your illness mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can do to help yourself yeah right? no you don't yeah and they will tell them straight up no you don't need to change your diet no you don't need to become a vegetarian or vegan no you don't need to get on the internet no you don't need to take supplements right you don't need to do anything you just need to enjoy your life and make sure you show up for your next appointment so uh this in my opinion is is malpractice it's negligent medical malpractice because we have there are thousands and thousands of studies published in peer-reviewed medical literature on nutrition for cancer survival on exercise for cancer survival on the all the myriad of anti-cancer molecules that are found in fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, herbs and spices. So it's not for lack of information, right? It's for lack of knowledge. That's the difference. Mm. And it's that ignorance, which is lack of knowledge, and the indifference of just like you said, it's like shrugging your shoulders and saying, well, you know, even if I told a patient to quit smoking, they probably wouldn't do it anyway. So why bother? Mm-hmm. And we just see that a lot in the medical community. Again, I'm not demonizing doctors. I have some yeah. dear friends who are doctors. They're incredible people. But, you know, many of the doctors I've interviewed, and, and you as well, as you alluded to, are are the first to admit that, you know, they receive no training whatsoever in diet and lifestyle Every medicine and prevention.
0: Every single one of them. Yeah. Every single one of them. And so
1: it's up to us. And I'm so thankful for you and letting me share your story, because we're on the same team here, to, to help people understand that your choices matter. You can change your life. You can dramatically reduce your odds of ever getting cancer and d- dramatically increase your odds of surviving cancer by changing your daily routine.
0: Mm-hmm. So I, let me, ask you, let me stop you there for one quick second, because I, I don't want to lose this thought that I've had um, for a couple of minutes. Do you believe and there's no way of quantifying this, but based on your, your understanding of the system and your experiences, that part of the reason, obviously we talked about the lack of education, you know, just turning the other cheek, um, you know, money driven, um, you know, the drug companies have a a big say and stake in this. That part of it is because like, Surgery, chemo—they have an immediate effect or almost an immediate effect. Where the delayed onset gravitation of changing a diet and lifestyle is longer is, you know, not necessarily. There's no, there's no necessarily quantitative measure. It doesn't, you know. There's, you're you not. It's uncertainty, right? And so with the others, there's more certainty. Not that there's any certainty in that either. But there's maybe perhaps more. And I'm not defending this, the way they're doing it. I'm just trying to understand it and maybe perhaps even get our audience to think even outside of the box, too, of like, how do we switch that if we can?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I talk about a lot of these things, especially the, the problems with the pharmaceutical, medical, and cancer industries in my first book, which is called Crisp Beat Cancer. And what you're talking about is it's very complex. Uh, but I'll try to distill it down. The first thing, the first problem, is that the pharmaceutical industry controls the medical industry. They really do. They control the whole thing, and they fund the the, the research. They fund the universities. They fund the education for doctors. And really, if you just follow the money, it all it all flows up to the pharmaceutical industry. That's problem number one. So there's an incredible incredible amount of Uh, perverse incentives in medicine uh, that um, even in the cancer industry, private practice oncologists get up to two-thirds of their income from the profit off of chemotherapy drugs. Hmm. Two-thirds. I mean, that's most of their income Hmm. from the profit. And it's the only segment of medicine where cancer drugs can be marked up by the doctor or the clinic and then sold directly to the patient for a profit. I mean, there's no other drug they can do that. You know, typically, if you get a prescription from a doctor, they're going to send you to a pharmacist, right? To Walgreens, and they fill the prescription and they make the money. The doctors, you know, are not selling drugs out of their office. <clears throat> so that's, that's one problem. The other problem is humans like, they, they like, uh, they, they're, we're very attracted to the quick fix, right? Mm-hmm. And so the pharmaceutical medical industry has exploited this quick fix and magic bullet mentality. And I call it magic bullet medicine. And that is, oh, there's a pill for every ill, right? And so people now expect a pill to cure their problem, except the pills never cure the problem. In the vast majority of cases, the pills only medicate or mitigate the symptoms of a problem. Mm -hmm. And so a person becomes a lifelong pharmaceutical customer. And usually uh, taking one prescription leads to eventually needing another prescription and another prescription because the side effects of the first one. And so you got side effects of drugs for the side effects of drugs for the side effects of drugs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it, it's, it becomes this vicious cycle, right? And the, the patient's health just spirals downward, whether it's heart disease or diabetes or cancer, right? It's It's the same playbook for chronic disease. And um, so there's, as you said, it's a very broken system. The good news is, is that most of these chronic diseases, most chronic diseases can be prevented and healed if a person is willing to change their life. And even in cancer, there are a lot of people, a lot of patients that are not willing to change. I'm, I'm no one's judge, right? if someone doesn't want to change their life, I'm okay with that. Right. But don't expect to get better if you're not willing to change your life. And if you, if you take just a little bit of time to research what's causing cancer, you will see there are factors in your life that probably were contributing to developing cancer over time. And I can talk about those in a minute, but
0: yeah, I'd love to, I'd love for you to share that. I was just going to interrupt you and ask you, but don't forget that point. Yes, we will
1: definitely hit that point. But just to, to close the loop on this, the question, uh, we, we are in a unique time in history. And I think there's a silver lining to everything that's happened in the last two years, and that is that thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions, I hope so. Of people have now realized for the first time that our healthcare system the, our government health agencies and the pharmaceutical industry are all in bed together, and they are all operating really to serve the best interests of the pharmaceutical companies and their stakeholders. And they're not operating in the best interests of you, right? They don't care about you or your health or your life. They care about selling you a drug that makes them money, and it doesn't matter what the outcome of that drug is for you. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and so and and frankly the the longer you take the drug the better it is for them and so that's that's good that's that's this is a wake-up call like i said it's a silver lining of what's going on and we've seen more doctors stand up to the government agencies and the healthcare industry and the pharmaceutical companies than ever before more doctors have said this is ridiculous right what are we doing rushing drugs Rushing a drug or drugs to market with no long term safety testing and then coercing people to take them. So, but that same playbook has been going for for decades. And and in the cancer industry, patients are rushed into treatment out of fear, right? It's the same thing. This is scary. You're going to die. You got to take this drug. You got to do this treatment right now, right? Right now, your life is at stake. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in March 2020, when everything started kind of going haywire, I was like, this is the same playbook as the the farm as the cancer industry, mm-hmm. right? Now it's going global. Right? <laughs> Fear, <laughs> coercion, lies, propaganda, rigged studies, and it's all, you know, to generate billions of dollars of of drug company profit. So, that's the bad news, but the good news is people have are they're waking up. They're they're seeing it for what it is and they're realizing that we need each other more than ever. Mm-hmm. Right? We can help each other. We can trust each other, right? I trust my neighbor and my friends and my family. Way more than I trust uh, some government health bureaucrat, right? In terms of telling me what I should do or not do, I trust frontline doctors who are saying, "Hey, we're 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 helping patients with these this combination of drugs or these treatments. It's working. Our patients are getting better." I trust that much more than I trust a double-blind placebo-controlled study conducted by who knows, right? Research th- researchers that maybe have ties to pharmaceutical industries or have have ties to the specific drug company that's competing with the off label drugs. Hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of corruption. Um, but my message is one of hope that you can help yourself heal, right? You're, you're not a powerless victim of disease. You don't have to be dependent on the pharmaceutical industry and the medical industry to get well. And if you're willing to change your life, then you can experience tremendous benefits in your health, your happiness, your well-being. So here's what I did. I got home from the hospital. I was faced with this, like, you got to do chemotherapy prospect. And I was still recovering from surgery. So I had time. They weren't trying to start me on chemo right away. However, they do that to a lot of patients. A lot of patients Mm -hmm. they have been chemo the day after they're diagnosed. I mean it's insane,
0: right? And they do the key when they do the the colon surgery, is it through the stomach? Do they go where do they how do they get into?
1: Yeah, typically depending on the patient, but for me they cut, you know, they cut a hole straight through my abdomen. Mm-hmm. Made an incision through my belly button. Uh mm-hmm. they were going to do it with laparoscopic tools which leaves us leave two very small scars, but when he put this this scope in there, he said, "Oh, it looks worse than we thought, so we just opted to just cut you open and do it traditionally." But yeah, they just it's kind of like a C-section. They just cut got they cut right through your abdomen mm-hmm. to your intestines. So, but I got home, I'm recovering from that and uh because, again again because they cut through my abdominal muscles. Like it, you know, there's some recovery time. Yeah. Um and uh you yeah, know, I was thinking about my life and my future and I was thinking about chemotherapy and I I'd never had any friends or friends or family that had gone through chemo, but I had seen chemo patients. Out in the world at the mall or at a restaurant or church or wherever and you know when you see someone that's an advanced cancer patient that's bald emaciated right their skin's yellow i mean they're just in that yeah they're just so so sick and it leaves an impression on you you know Mm -hmm. and i so i had those impressions and i thought is that gonna be me like that is that's what i'm signing up for and the idea of poisoning my way back to health did not make sense to me.
0: Mm.
1: And I'm, I'm a pretty optimistic person, but I'm skeptical in, in some ways. And I think I'm skeptical in healthy ways. And I grew up sort of in the punk rock movement, you know, which is like, don't trust the government. Don't trust big mm-hmm. corporations, you know? And so I had an inherent skepticism and, and- the sex pistols. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right? Just a um, uh, just and the DIY mentality, like do it yourself, right? And uh and so I had I'd had exposure to you know, just sort of the that kind of information about how big corporations can be corrupt and really take advantage of of people for profit. And um so I had a little bit of built-in uh distrust and skepticism towards, you know, the pharmaceutical industry and the medical industry as I started to see behind the curtain a little bit. And, um, so, you know, I, I don't know what to do. And so my wife and I prayed about it and I was just like, God, if there's another so way you were married answer. at this time. Yes. I was married. I'd been married for two years.
0: Okay. So, so you, got I married like young. Young. you got married at 24.
1: Yeah. Okay. Right. 24. Mm-hmm. And we had been married for, yeah, just over two years.
0: Kids at that point.
1: No kids. I was in real estate and I'd been in real estate for about two years Mm -hmm. and uh, was doing great. I was, you know, buying rental properties and fixing them up. And I was a musician playing shows and writing songs and just really excited about my life. Like things were going really well. And I was very optimistic about my future. And then I got this cancer diagnosis. But anyway, we prayed about it. And I just said, God, if there's another way besides chemo, please show me. Just show me. I'm, you know, I don't know what to do. And two days later, I got a book that was sent to me from a man in Alaska, who was a friend of my dad's. I'm in Tennessee. And this book shows up, and it's called God's Way to Ultimate Health. And it was written by a guy named George Malcolmus, who found out he had colon cancer back in the 1970s. And he had seen some close, uh, his mother and other friends go through cancer and suffer and die Hmm. through the treatment. And so he gets this diagnosis and he and he just decided I don't want to do that. And he happened to have a friend who's kind of a health nut or whatever who said, "Man, you need to get on the raw food diet. You need to start juicing carrots."
0: <laughs>
1: and for whatever reason, you know, he decided to do that and uh, and he got well. Like, you know, within a year, he, his his body had healed, no tumor. And so I'm reading his story and I was just so encouraged and excited and hopeful. I mean, you know, sometimes it just takes one person's story to change the course of your life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you don't need some giant, like I said before, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled study to change mm-hmm. your life, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And and sometimes you just need one person. Yeah, and th- you and I had a conversation prior to getting on the recording about, you know, the the kind of labor of love that podcasts are for money for a big majority of people, you know, this is free. And I told you that I actually cost me money to do this because I paid for a production post-production at the end and all that, you know, the images and whatnot. But if I can help one person listen to a message that you're, you're, you're sharing with us to save their life or a loved one's life or a friend's life, man, that's worth every cent that, and time and energy that I put into this.
1: And of course, you're helping way more than one.
0: Yeah, you know, with, sure.
1: It's just the nature of the internet. So amazing. I mean, it's just information can spread so quickly, and you know, and and you never know who's listening. That and, and yep. so, um, so I yeah, I was I was excited about this guy's story, and I thought, well, if he healed colon cancer, maybe I can heal it. Right? He survived. Maybe I can survive, and I should probably do what he did. Like, and so, and I love the idea of. The the raw food diet, I'd never even heard of it because in January 2004, it wasn't like something that hipsters did, right? There was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. There was no YouTube. There was no social media. I mean, really? And so the raw food diet was a diet for for sick people and weirdos. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what it was. But I'm like, this fits me, actually. So I'm going to do it. And overnight, I converted from the standard American diet, tons of... Uh, processed food fast food and junk food meat and dairy at every meal to eating a diet that was a hundred percent fruits and vegetables nuts and seeds herbs and spices and uh it was all raw uncooked and so uh and was that hard to
0: find in tennessee
1: no uh No, it wasn't because every grocery store has fruits and vegetables. True, Uh, true, true, true. true. But the organic section was, was limited. So back then we had a whole foods, but, uh, that was the only place in town that had organic produce back then. And, um, so, and I'm so thankful (laughs) that we had even had a whole foods. And so, yeah, not only was I eating all, all raw, it was, I was eating all organic, all raw fruits and vegetables. And I converted overnight, literally overnight. The next day, I'm like, I'm doing this. And I went and bought a juicer. Whole Foods used to sell juicers. They don't anymore. Bought a juicer, bought the, uh, filled up the cart with vegetables, bought a bunch of carrots, started juicing, started making giant salads, just big bowls full of vegetables. I was just like, I'm going to figure this out, right? I'm going to overdose on nu- fruits and vegetables. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to overdose on nutrition and see what happens. So I was actually, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't that thing where a person is like, maybe they're trying to lose weight and they go to Weight Watchers and Weight Watchers says, well, you can't eat these foods. You have to eat these now. You know, I, and you're like, oh, I'm not allowed to eat pizza anymore. <laughs> you know, I didn't have that kind of feeling. I was really excited to self-experiment mm-hmm. and to see what would happen. And I believed it would, happen. It would help me. Mm-hmm. It was so easy to believe.
0: If you don't believe it, you can't achieve it no matter what you're doing.
1: Right. And I, everything that I do now is to, is I can say is all, it all stems from one intention and that is to spark this tiny little belief that healing is possible,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. right? That your body can heal. Because if you, if you believe that healing is possible, then all of a sudden it opens up this world of options, right? And possibilities, right? You realize, okay, I can get well, what do I need to do now to help myself get well? Mm -hmm. Versus, you know, what most people are taught or come to believe about chronic disease is that it's just bad luck, right? Like I said earlier, you're you're a powerless victim, doesn't matter what you do, right? You're just going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. And here's some drugs that can help you live with it. And so I just, I mean, just by my nature, I was sort of repulsed by that type of sentiment anyway, uh, being, I'm, you know, just an independent thinker and I'm an only child and kind of stubborn. And I was an entrepreneur, (laughs) you know, like, so all Mm -hmm. those things kind of, you know, those things did help me, uh, but it did not make me special. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just want to be very clear. Anyone can do what I did. Um, but, uh, so And what I found was I started feeling really good after I started eating that way pretty quickly. You know, the first few days you feel kind of weird because your body is
0: like, what is all this broccoli? (laughs) Like, but, uh, eventually you can, broccoli tends to have, uh, a side effect that comes out (laughs) that's noisy and loud and smelly. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and
1: some people have pretty, you know, pretty, uh, significant detoxification symptoms that they, they headaches and nausea and withdrawals from junk food and, and sugar and and tons of animal protein and fat like you know so you so people if they try to eat a raw food diet usually on day two or three they feel really lousy and they're like i can't do it and they quit but that's really right about that point if you just give it another day or two you turn a corner and you start to feel really good mm-hmm. and so Anyway, I I powered through that first week, started feeling really good. I was optimistic and and excited about my life and my future. And and it unlocked something in me that I didn't know was there, which was, you know, once I realized I can do this, right, I can eat this way, then it was like, okay, what else can I do? Right? What's the next step? What's the next thing in my life that I can improve? What's the next aspect of my life that needs improvement? So, This would be a good point to talk about what's causing cancer. So the number one cause of cancer, well, let me back up before I say that. Up to 90% of cancers are caused by a poor diet, an unhealthy lifestyle, and environmental factors. It's like environmental toxins, environmental pollution. That third one is pretty obvious, right? We all kind of know... There's some toxic junk in our, in our water and sometimes in the air and even in the food we eat and in the workplace. And if you can take steps to limit your exposure to toxic fumes and things like that, it's, it's good, right? But a poor diet, the diet that's driving cancer is the American diet. It's the Western diet. It's tons of meat and dairy, tons of processed food, tons of fast food, junk food. Okay? It's too much. It's a diet of excess And we have in the Western industrialized countries, we have diseases that are known as diseases of affluence, as opposed to diseases of poverty and the diseases of affluence are cancer, heart disease, diabetes, MS, autoimmune, right? These are diseases of affluence. So, uh, I, and if you look around the world, there are cultures that have much lower rates of cancer, way lower way lower and if you look at the way they eat they eat a diet that is predominantly plants right very little animal food not they're not pure vegan necessarily but very little animal food very little processed food lots of plant food whether it's rice beans corn potatoes fruits and vegetables nuts and seeds herbs and spices whole grains right they're just eating food from the earth and it's mostly unprocessed and that's That's a huge component of health right there. That's one piece of the puzzle. The next piece is the lifestyle factors. So smoking is the number one cause of cancer. The number one cause, not just lung cancer, but other cancers too. Mm -hmm. And I said earlier, smoking rates are going down and, and overall cancer rates are going down just because of the reduction in smoking. It's had that much of a profound impact. And that's good. We want to continue that trend, right? Less people smoking, less people. I mean, just, I, I hope, uh, I I wish, I wish our government would be more aggressive about this because if they really care, you know, Biden announced this cancer moonshot and all this money to research cancer drugs. It's, it's basically just a, a, a bunch of money for the drug companies who don't mm-hmm. even need the money because they make billions of dollars every year and they have enough to do their own research. Okay. <laughs> That's the same with the cancer charities. They just raise all this money and give it to the drug companies. and The drug companies just get free money, right? They don't have to use their own money to research. So that, that whole thing's a scam. But the point is, if, if the government really cared about reducing cancer, they, the first thing they should do is, is launch an aggressive anti-smoking campaign, tax, tax cigarettes and tobacco out of business. Mm. Make them so expensive that people are like, "I just can't afford this anymore. I quit." Mm-hmm. Right? Like they've already done it some. I mean, but you know, if you made cigarettes twenty bucks a pack, man, you would drop smoking fast, and fast. cancer
0: rates would plummet. Yep. Like so, like gas right now. People, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah look at the price are, of gas. Nobody wants yeah, to drive. People know when to drive. Nobody wants to travel. People are like, "Wow, I've got a Tesla," and people are like, "Man, I wish I had that now." And I'm like, "Yep." Yeah. <laughs> All <laughs> right. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay.
1: So smoking, that's a big one, but here's the kicker. The number two cause of cancer, the second leading cause is obesity. And no one is talking about this. It's not, this is not my harebrained theory. It's, it's validated by the, the NIH, by the world health organization, all the major bodies of cancer research. Are in agreement. Smoking's number one, obesity is number two. But no one likes to talk about obesity because they don't want to be accused of fat shaming. They don't want to be accused of being insensitive. And uh this isn't about being mean. It's just about telling people the truth and empowering them, right? When you tell someone the truth, you empower them, and then they can use that information to actually help themselves. So the reason that being overweight and obese contributes to cancer is because. When you're overweight it's a burden on your body right your body is a series of interconnected systems right you got your nervous system your immune system your uh, cardiovascular system your musculoskeletal system right so all these systems are working together and when you are carrying excess body fat it's a burden on all the systems now specifically what's happening is fat cells are producing hormones like estrogen which fuels cancer growth they're also producing I mean, inflammatory molecules in the body that promote inflammation. Uh, excess fat is clogging up your arteries, reducing blood flow. Uh, and your immune cells absorb fatty acids and they become bloated and slow and sluggish.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This has been demonstrated in the lab that immune cells in an obese environment are also obese. So think about that if your immune system is your army to fight off cancer and viruses and bacteria, what kind of army do you want? Do you want an army of young, healthy, strong, fast soldiers or an army of slow, sluggish, overweight soldiers? So I like that, there's a direct it's, it, it's multiple uh, it's sort of multiple causes at once, right? Uh, Obesity promotes inflammation and immunosuppression. And that is the environment in which cancer cells thrive. Mm -hmm. High inflammation and low immune function. So uh, the good news is when you lose weight, your immune system gets better. (laughs) Your immune system works better. And look, if we're talking about that thing that's going around, the pandemic, who are the people that were at the most risk of getting severe disease and death? One of those factors besides age was obesity, mm-hmm. was a major, major risk factor. And for the same reason, because being obese means you have chronic inflammation and immunosuppression. And usually you have multiple other chronic diseases that are taxing your body, right? You've got diabetes, you may have heart disease, high blood pressure, atherosclerosis, or hypertension, so um some autoimmune issues so again, uh a lot of those folks were in very, very, very poor health, in very bad shape, and extremely vulnerable with weak immunity because of their diet and lifestyle choices mm. over many decades of their life. so it wasn't just like. You know, whoa, you know, germ jumped out of the bushes and killed you, right? It was a lifelong, s- systematic uh, regression of health that led a person to to a point of severe vulnerability mm. to an infection. So, yeah, and, it, you know, again, we just have to, we really have to tell the truth about uh Things like this. And there's a lot of half truths, right? A half truth is a lie. The whole truth is all the facts, all the information, right? So, coming back to cancer, your diet and your lifestyle choices, the other lifestyle factor is not exercising, right? When you exercise, not only do you burn calories and promote weight loss, right? And help yourself maintain or get to a healthy weight, you're also flipping switches in your body that are anti cancer. There are anti-cancer genes that are activated by exercise. Exercise increases detoxification. Exercise boosts your feel-good chemicals in your brain, right? So it's an antidepressant. Exercise is one of the most underrated things you can do for yourself. Chris, and, can, uh, you, uh,
0: can you identify what exercise is? Because it means a lot to a lot of different people. Some might think I have to go do a CrossFit class and hit training or Peloton and spinning. Can you identify what that looks like?
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, great, great question. Exercise at the, they did a study. This is my, one of my favorite studies. They did a study on breast cancer patients and they found that the women who exercised, who, who walked an average of 30 minutes a day, And who ate an average of five servings of fruits and vegetables per day, had a 50% decreased risk of recurrence after nine years.
0: Hmm.
1: Nine years. That's amazing, right? Five servings of fruits and vegetables per day and walking, just brisk walking, like deliberate walking for exercise, cut their risk in half. So. Yeah, exercise is just movement. It's mm-hmm. deliberate movement of your body. And working is doesn't really count. Right? Like, well, I, I'm on my feet all day at work. It, it doesn't really count. There is there is a different response in your body where you're exercising for recreation, right, or for health versus just the movement that you're doing, doing, doing workday hours. So, yeah, the minimum exercise is just, it's just brisk walking. And then the maximum is anything else you want to do, right? It could mm-hmm. be CrossFit. It could be, you know we we try not to encourage like marathon and ultra marathon training. It's a little bit counterproductive when someone has cancer, right? It's, yeah. it's too much like, or bodybuilding, but all the fitness classes, yoga, Zumba, jazzercise, right? The hit classes, all that stuff is great. It's wonderful. Cycling is fantastic. Rock climbing, all the martial arts, like anything that gets your heart pumping, get, that gets you sweaty, that gets your breathe, heavy breathing, right? And you're moving your body. That is how we define healthy exercise.
0: So thanks for clarifying that.
1: Yeah. So, um, and the the good news is, is is there's something for everybody, right? Almost every person, unless you are bedridden, right, can do some type of exercise and help themselves. So um, the other lifestyle factors that are contributing to cancer are, um, uh, you know, drug use. Right. illegal drugs and pharmaceutical drugs many of them if you watch tv you hear the end of the drug commercial right this uh this particular drug may increase the risk of certain types of cancer but
0: mm-hmm. right.
1: you've heard it over and over for a bunch of different drugs and uh so people tend to dismiss that i mean the the, the drug company by law is telling you this drug may increase your risk of certain types of cancer and yet you're taking the drug for your restless legs or for your inflammation or, or arthritis or your high blood pressure or whatever it is. Your eczema. Yeah, eczema, exactly. So, so that's another factor, right? And once you sort of connect these dots, and like I said earlier, up to 90% of cancers are caused by our diet, lifestyle, and environment. Only 5 to 10% are actually genetic. And so what that does is it kind of puts the responsibility back on us. And what, what happened to me was I had this revelation, which was the way I'm living is killing me, mm. right? The way I'm living is killing me and cancer is a divine tap on the shoulder and it's an opportunity to change. Cancer is going to change you like it or not. And so why not let it change you for the better, right? Why not let it be the catalyst in your life to change your life for the better. Because it can also do the opposite, right? It can make you more angry and more bitter and more feeling sorry for yourself and unhappy and depressed and discouraged and hopeless, right? You can definitely go down that path when you're on the cancer journey. And so that's something I had to fight against and, and really mentally, emotionally, spiritually, uh, I had to make a decision every day and you know throughout the day each day to really get a hold of my thoughts and to choose to think positively when I was tempted to think negatively, to choose to believe the best about people when I wanted to to judge them or be critical, um, to encourage myself when there was no one else around me to encourage me, um, and to stay on the healthy path, right? To to like exercise some self-discipline, to, to eat fruits and vegetables when maybe I was craving, a, you know, donuts and pizza or whatever. So I had what I call the beat cancer mindset. And I've seen it over and over and over because I've met and interviewed countless people like me who've survived and thrived through advanced cancer diagnoses and gotten their health back. And we all did the same things. We all believed that healing was possible. We all were willing to change our life. We all sort of took full responsibility for our situation. We all, you know, sort of made a decision to let go of anger and bitterness and resentments and negativity and and to embrace joy and gratitude and hope, right? Just just, you know, faith is always a huge part, I think, in the cancer journey. And it was huge for it was huge for me. Like I was dependent on God every day because I was, you know, I didn't have a roadmap. I didn't even have, I had very little support at all. So it was like hacking my way through the jungle alone. You know? (laughs) And so my faith got really strong. And uh And my antennas were up, you know, I was like hypersensitive to anything that would come into my life, people or information. Uh, I didn't dismiss anything as a coincidence, right? Mm Because when you're in a state of desperation, and uh, like that, it's like everything that comes at you, it's like what this may be important, you know, I need to really consider this. So in some ways, it might have been easier for me, because now with the internet, there's a million websites and articles, there's too much information. And it can be people can really get bogged down and that's one of the reasons i wrote my first book was just not only to tell my story but to help people just get a very clear path and reduce the complicated stuff down to the simple so that any person can understand what they can do to reduce their risk of ever getting cancer or to take care of themselves like they never have before and increase their odds of survival with their daily choices
0: and that book is, uh, Chris beat cancer, and you can buy that on Amazon, correct?
1: Amazon, any pretty, pretty much any bookstore mm-hmm. uh, on Amazon. We've got a new book that came out last fall called beat cancer kitchen, which is a cookbook. So it's all yeah. plant-based anti-cancer recipes that the, the recipes that I, you know, really gravitated toward and ate the most of the things that I ate every single day, uh, when I was healing and the way we eat now, it's all in the, in beat cancer kitchen, the cookbook. And awesome. then I have a third book that w- we published two books in 2021 because 2020 gave me a bunch of free time. <laughs> so we worked on two books and got them published the next year. But the other book is called Beat Cancer Daily. And that's just a it's sort of like a daily reader or a daily mm-hmm. devotional. It's it's like a companion to my first book. And the 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 impetus behind that book was that, you know, a person can read my book and learn a lot and get started changing their life and create a plan to help themselves. Um but you know, life is a daily journey, and healing is a daily journey, and we need constant encouragement, and constant inspiration, and uh, reminders, right? And practical information and steps to take. And so that book is 365 pages. It's one page per day, just to remind that person of the of the most important things, you know, each day, so they don't get distracted and don't get knocked off. Off track, or so they can get back on track if they get knocked off. I mean, like one of the entries in that book is, um, "Point your ship toward Healthy Island," hmm. and what that means is, you know, like you know, this is a journey, right? You're, the destination is Healthy Island if you're sick, and so you you have to think, okay, I can't get there tomorrow, but I've got to point my ship in that direction today, and keep it pointed there tomorrow and the day after, and you know what? Life throws you curveballs and. You know, there may be a storm, there may be wind, there may be waves, you may may get knocked off course a little bit, but you can right the ship, right? You can get right back on course and point your ship toward healthy island. So, you know, again, that's just an example of this, this, the way to think about the process. There's Mm -hmm. no quick fix. There's no magic bullet. There's no miracle motion lotion or potion, right? Or Amazonian herb, (laughs) right? (laughs) Healing cancer requires massive action it requires Mm. radical life change anyone can do what i did Mm. Um, but most people won't most people won't because as humans uh we just don't like to change (laughs) Mm.
0: (laughs) that's the the sad and hard truth and it's hard times. so it's so until it's too late and you know the cancer There's gotten too advanced and there's almost no hope at that point what i like to tell people
1: is it's only too late when you're dead
0: yeah okay
1: and you know and you just never know you just never know i i've interviewed people who have healed stage four cancer after they were sent home to die Hmm. they did all the treatments the treatments failed cancer all over their body sent home to die and you can find those interviews at chrisbeatcancer.com there's lots of them and you'll find so much encouragement. It's inc- it's crazy. Like these stories uh, that are out there that you don't even know about, um, that are better than mine. Hmm. Um, and so I love doing that. I love interviewing survivors because it just adds to the the um, uh, the collective consciousness, I guess, of the world so that people can look and see, okay, wait a second, this isn't just one lucky guy. This isn't just some fluke, right? There's a lot of people who've healed this Mm -hmm. disease. And if there's a lot of people who've healed it, well, why can't I be a part of that group?
0: Have you ever thought about interviewing or have you interviewed people who have given up hope, who've gone the other direction, who's just been like, you know what, this is not, this doesn't, work? like, just to kind of get the opposite mindset, the opposite actions, like to see the dichotomy between both
1: I haven't, I don't really have a desire to do that, but I've talked to a lot of people in that state. And so I do, and I talk about it, you know, I understand that state, which is, um, there's a reason why some people don't want to change Mm -hmm. or they get a cancer diagnosis and they they won't do anything to help themselves. And a a lot of times that reason is, uh, well, it depends on the person. But for example, sometimes if a person's older, they don't have a strong will to live. They've already lived their life. You know, the cancer, di- they're 70, they're 80, right? They're 90. My grandfather was diagnosed with cancer in his late 90s. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. He didn't do anything, right? He didn't care. And it's fine. But um, so in that case, uh, that person doesn't have a strong will to live, a strong motivation to live, and, and that's fine. In, in some other cases, which is some more tragic is a person is gets a cancer diagnosis and for them it's sort of a relief because they've had a really hard life Hmm. and they've been just discouraged and depressed and unhappy for a long time Hmm. maybe in an unhappy marriage or maybe just life didn't turn out the way they planned and they made made some mistakes or whatever and it just their life has just been hard and so sometimes you you know i see that right in a Hmm. a certain segment of cancer patients and then others I'd say the vast majority are patients who they've got a strong will to live and and they they have that sort of do whatever it takes mentality but they're led to believe that do whatever it takes means give me all the chemo you got mm-hmm. right I'll do the surgery the chemo the radiation right the, you know and and they suffer through these brutal treatments for months and months, sometimes years, and it just wears them down Mm. and they just become tired of suffering. Mm -hmm. Right. And they lose their will to live over time and they Mm. lose their hope Mm. because they have been brutalized. I mean, by the cancer industry, by treatments. Mm. And so, yeah, there's, there's a, that's very common. And then sometimes there's, there's, there's folks that are just, you know, they just, put all their faith, hope, and trust in doctors and in the cancer industry and in the drug companies. And they just are convinced that that's the only way. And there's nothing they that, that else they need to do or want to do, and they don't want to change. So all those people I just described are people that I cannot help. Yeah, <laughs> okay? yeah, yeah. But yeah. I want to finish on well, a positive oh. I'm,
0: note. But I'm glad that you, yeah, let's finish on a positive note, but I'm glad you brought that up. Because I, I just learned something there or I was enlightened there. That, that was good. That was positive. Thank you. So the,
1: the the positive note is there
0: are people,
1: and I imagine your listeners, are probably these kind of people who are willing to take responsibility for their life. They want to change their life. They want to improve, right? Mm-hmm. When they're faced with a challenge, they they want to understand the cause so that they can find a solution. And you have to become a problem solver. You know, when you have cancer, or really, if unless you just want to be a victim your whole life, right? You can either be a victim, or you can be a problem solver and and get out of your victim state. So, an analogy here is like if water's dripping from your ceiling, right? You can uh, put a bucket under it and catch the water every day or every time it rains, but eventually your ceiling is going to get saturated. And it's going to it's going to fall in. Right? So the bucket that sort of delayed the problem, you spared your hardwood floors from water damage, but then the ceiling falls in and so you get all this wet sheetrock and wet insulation. Now it's all on your floors and ca- causing damage and you got a much bigger problem to clean up, right? So you didn't actually solve the problem. You just mitigated the damage for a time. If you wanted to solve the problem, you go up in the attic you find the leak. It's either a leaking pipe or it's a roof leak, right? And you repair the pipe or you patch the shingles, okay? You've gotten to the root cause of your problem and you solved the problem. So the people that have that mentality and that mindset, uh, and it's a small percentage of cancer patients, I wish it was a larger one. Um, but it's a small percentage those are the people that i'm here to serve those are the people who understand my message immediately right it's this is the message for them they're like i get it this is how i am this is how i think i want to solve this problem i want to understand what caused it i want to identify every potential cause of cancer in my life Mm -hmm. and i want to remove those things from my life and replace them with health promoters (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) right so it's doable it can be done and uh this is what I spend my time doing, really, is just talking about the causes of cancer and the things you can do to help yourself prevent and heal. And then also, you know, helping people understand the perils and pitfalls of, of the medical industry and the pharmaceutical mm-hmm. industry and the cancer industry. I mean, th- there's certainly helpful things that they can provide, uh, in, but generally, um, if you put all your faith, hope, and trust that you do in that industry, you do so at your peril. And I want to circle back to one thing you said really like way in the beginning of our conversation is, you know, surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. You talked about that sort of immediacy, right? People want that immediate benefit. And it's true. There's an immediate benefit to cutting a tumor out, right? To chemo, to uh, radiation, but it's a short-term solution to a long-term problem. And that's the paradox. Mm -hmm. The paradox of chemo, for example, is that uh, you can poison cancer cells and shrink a tumor and kill cancer cells with chemotherapy drugs. But uh, usually you're not killing the cancer stem cells. And those are the instigators of the the problem. Mm -hmm. And the stem cells are not destroyed by chemo, even though the tumor may shrink 90, 99%. The stem cells that are left Become more aggressive as a result of chemotherapy. Mm. They learn how to survive, they adapt, they evolve. And during the chemo process, you've also caused collateral damage to the patient's body, head to toe Mm -hmm. brain damage, liver damage, lung damage, damage to their cardiovascular system, damage to their immune system, damage to their digestive system, damage to their nervous system. And the most important damage is the immune system damage. So now when they finish that round of chemotherapy and they ring the bell, I'm all done with my chemo. Then they have a wrecked immune system and highly aggressive cancer stem cells. And that is a recipe for disaster because those, as soon as the chemo stops, those cancer stem cells start dividing again and they start spreading throughout the body and they're, immunity is wiped out
0: mm-hmm.
1: and this is why you just hear the same story over and over right a person gets a diagnosis they do the surgery they do the chemo they do the radiation everything's cool for a few months and then they get their you know follow-up scan and they've got spots in their liver or their lungs or their bone marrow or their brain right and say so, well, spread. It's, oh, it's, i've got new spots in my brain i've got new spots how did it spread why is it all over the place mm-hmm. i just told you why right because The short-term solution caused more damage Mm long-term. And that's, again, that is the the terrible paradox of most cancer treatments is Mm -hmm. everybody's so in such a big hurry to kill the cancer, to cut it off, right? To burn it, whatever, poison it. They're not thinking about how do we actually build this person's body up, right? How do we increase their immune system how do we increase their nutrition right how do we serve them and and, and nourish their body and enable their body to heal the cancer industry is st- just now figuring out that immunotherapy right which is is harnessing a patient's immune system to kill cancer they're just figuring out how to you know concoct drugs that are sort of doing this for a small number of cancers in a small number of patients but they're on the right track at least they're you know focused on the immune system now but this is this has been known for hundreds of years right? <laughs> the, the immune system is really key to health and healing for, Well, at least since the late 1800s but anyway that's a bit of a rabbit trail but just i'm just saying all that to say that you know there's so much you can do to help yourself your choices matter and it, it makes sense to empower yourself with this kind of knowledge now right and orient your life in a way that is anti cancer right so that you reduce your odds of ever getting cancer because it sucks it's right you don't want it trust me it's scary there's a lot of pressure everybody's telling you to do stuff you don't want to do like believe me you don't want you don't want to deal with it so and then if you have cancer the hopeful message is that there are choices you can make every single day that decrease your risk of death increase your odds of survival if you're willing to change your life and so you know if that interests you then chrisbeatcancer.com has tons of interviews with with uh, cancer survivors and holistic practitioners doctors and researchers and lots of articles of course i've got some books out there that we talked about so uh, this yeah, is what i do man it's, it's, I,
0: I love it well you're very passionate very educated because you're you're you lived it and you came out on the other side and i acknowledge you for that i acknowledge you for your bravery and that willingness, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it always interests me to know where some of that has come from. You know, you had mentioned being an only child, being stubborn and, uh, you know, having other attributes that may have been a, a catalyst to that, but doesn't matter. Like you said, it we all need it. And life is worth living. Most importantly, life is worth living. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what age, what, wherever, at what part of your life, under any circumstances, life is absolutely worth living, and this is, you know, what's the let's What's the t- statistic like? How many like one out of how many people will have cancer? Do you know that statistic? Is yeah, any- it's one out something?
1: of every two men. One out of two. Half two of people. men in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's it's better in other some other countries. Half of men and a third of women
0: wow. will be That's diagnosed. Terrible.
1: Yeah, yeah, will be diagnosed in their lifetime. So here's here's the message there. If yeah. you're not serious about cancer prevention, you should be,
0: yeah. right? And you don't need to. I think what's important to finish here too. Again, increase or um, beat cancer. Kitchen is one of your newest books about like eating. You don't need to have cancer to to start this program. Like you could buy the book and beat it before it even comes. Make this a a preventable measure rather than a curative measure and do it, you know, before it becomes a problem. So I think that's really important to mention that I don't think we did.
1: Thank you. Beat Cancer Kitchen. It's all plant-based, delicious recipes that, you know, and it's a full color cookbook, beautiful photographs. I'm telling you, if you get this book, if you get it from Amazon and you don't, and you don't love any of these recipes, Hey, just return it. Amazon will give you a refund. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's a money back guarantee. If you're not thrilled with any of my books, just send them back to Amazon
0: and get your money back. (laughs) That's, that's, that's great. I appreciate you, Chris. And I appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate you sharing your story. God bless you. Thank you, Steve, your journey, continue educating and sharing this uh, wealth and very needed knowledge with our public. And uh, if there's anything I could do in the journey, let me know. I'd love to support you still. And um, I'm passionate about this as well. Cancer has taking some of the lives of my loved ones and um, people that I've been friends with at young ages, too young to die. And uh, I'd love to help you. Thanks, man. It's been really fun. Great. Until next time, everybody stay healthy and well. Let's beat cancer together. Enjoy your day.